1: investigative journalist Peter Schweizer, comedy with a twang from Henry Cho, chef red-white books up a fiery hot chicken recipe, and legendary Herman's Hermit's Peter Noon. That's Trey Corley of the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Bilbrey.
2: Oh, welcome everybody. We are so very glad to have you. We have a terrific studio audience here in our theater and we have a wonderful show lined up just for you. Now, the momentum in the November elections in Virginia changed dramatically when the Democrat candidate, Terry McAuliffe had a moment of, well, I would call it accidental honesty. That's when he declared that parents ought to just butt out of their kids' education And let the schools decide what the children learned. I mean, even lifelong Democrats were shocked that someone would come out and actually say, what has been a parent for a long time. That leftist politicians think government ought to control children and the parents really just need to shut up and stay out of it. Wow. It may be the main reason that Glenn Youngkin is now governor of Virginia, and Winsome Sears is lieutenant governor. I believe it is. Condescending comments from school board members in Virginia and California have been caught on open mics in which elected school board members openly say that they are tired of parents interfering with the education of their own children. Think about that. I mean, the fundamental question is this, who, is ultimately responsible for a child? The parent or the government? I can't believe that any parent would truly believe that he or she just drops off a child at the schoolhouse door like a bag of laundry in the morning and then comes back to retrieve the little bugger at the end of the day, expecting the little darlings to be all cleaned up, educated, and prepared for life. Parents not only have a right to know what their kids are being taught at school. They have a responsibility to know what's in the textbooks and whether their children are being educated or indoctrinated. There was a California teacher. She took the American flag out of her classroom because she said it made her feel uncomfortable. And she put a gay pride flag in its place and told the students that if they wanted to pledge to a flag, they could pledge allegiance to the gay pride flag. Now the teacher was so proud of herself that she posted a video of her stunt on TikTok. The backlash was such that she got removed from the classroom. Now, if your kids are going to a government school, you better review their textbooks. Find out what's on the wall in the classroom. I'm not kidding. Go look and see. Have a clear understanding what behavior is expected or tolerated. Are your female children expected to compete with boys who identify as girls? Are they told that they are expected to share showers with members of the opposite gender? Let's be clear, your children belong to you, not to the government. And unless the government showed up to nurse your child and change diapers, That child does not belong to the government, is not a ward of the state. Schools ought to undergird a family's values, not undermine them. Hey, I realize that a government school can't promote a Christian worldview, but neither should a government school be hostile to the Christian faith, or for that matter, to any faith. It may be time for American parents to look for alternatives to government-run schools if the one that your children attend refuses to respect parents and instead bullies citizens into submission. Hopefully the school in your community has not fallen apart and it isn't being run by crazed socialists. But if it is, look into homeschooling. Maybe create a co-op with other parents to teach your children, or if you can afford it, private Christian education. But in the meantime, do not be silent. Get the facts, show up, stand up, and speak up at school board meetings. Hey, your children can eat less than ideal lunchroom food and they'll survive, but they cannot be fed garbage for their brains and survive the effort to turn them into compliant leftist lunatics. Just can't. My first guest is the co-founder and president of the Government Accountability Institute, a senior contributor at Breitbart News, and he's a best-selling author. You may remember his blockbuster from 2015 called Clinton Cash. Well, he's got a new book. It's rocketed to the top of the New York Times bestseller list, and I know that rankles the New York Times. It's another expose, but it goes way beyond just the Clintons. Please welcome to the show, author of the number one bestseller, Red-Handed, How American Elites Get Rich Helping China Win. Welcome, please, Peter Schweitzer. I am thrilled that your book has taken off like a rocket. But to get to the heart of it. Yeah. Are there some people in our own government who are selling out to China?
3: Yes, absolutely. Uh, People from both political parties, uh, senior leaders in Congress, and frankly, the first family of the United States, the Biden family, which is the focus of the second chapter of the book. So we've heard that, you know, Hunter Biden had some special deals
2: with the Chinese, made millions of dollars. Right. Did Joe know anything about that?
3: He did. Um, and he actually benefited. Um, we had the uh, benefit of getting access to the Hunter Biden laptop. And we also got access to the email collection of one of Hunter Biden's business partners, a guy named Bevan Cooney. And using those documents, we were able to trace a couple of things. How much money the Bidens took in, which was some $31 million. It, $31 million. Yes, $31 million. It may be more. Those are the deals we know of. But the other thing is we wanted to know who made these deals happen in China. Or as my kids would say, who made it rain for the Bidens (laughs) in China? Uh, And what we found is that there were four businessmen. Every one of those four businessmen has ties to the highest levels of Chinese intelligence. So this is not, Governor, just a story of corruption or cronyism anymore. We have to look at the fact that they were probably targeted by Chinese intelligence and they may very well be compromised. This is such... An explosive story. I don't hear a thing
2: about it from the Washington Post, the New York Times. I'm not hearing it on the major networks. Why not?
3: Uh, I think there's a couple reasons. Number one, um, to be honest, it's hard work. I had a team of 13 researchers. We worked on this thing for the research part for a good year and a half. Hmm. Um, so it takes a lot of commitment and time. The other part is, is uh, I think, political or ideological. There is a sense, I think, with a lot of newspapers and, and the mainstream media that anything that helps or, sorry, that hurts an opponent of Donald Trump uh, is going to help Donald Trump, and they don't want to do that. My view is keep the politics out of it, let the American people know what all their leaders are doing, and let the voters themselves make up their minds. The problem is that's not the mindset of the media. So they've basically decided they're going to ignore stories about the Biden family uh, because it doesn't agree with their politics.
2: Peter, I know from other books that you've done, you've had some explosive content in those books. Clinton Cash being one of them. It was just, I mean, mind boggling. Interestingly, a lot of media people ignored your book. Nobody that I remember refuted the veracity, the facts of the book.
3: Yeah. Uh, well, and this is—we have a very radical idea. It, it's different than the mainstream media. In that book, in *Clinton Cash*, uh, we do not use anonymous sources. We don't quote people's opinions. It's all footnoted. So that book has, I think, a thousand seventy-three footnotes. It's got Chinese corporate records, Hong Kong financial records, documents from court cases, other published accounts. The point is, is it's all footnoted. So you can't really challenge the facts. I mean, I guess you can challenge the facts, but the facts are the facts.
2: It's interesting. You mentioned that there are people from both parties. So let's be fair. Who are some of the Republicans that, in your research, you found out are a little on the dirty side when it comes to playing games with china and letting them
3: win well uh, chief among them would be the republican leader in the senate mitch mcconnell uh mitch is married to elaine chow who was the transportation secretary in the trump administration her family has a shipping business a very successful shipping business and i would argue largely because the chinese government has done that business a lot of favors mm. So they, they have these large cargo ships, you know the ones that are sitting off the coast of California yeah. right now? With
2: everybody's Christmas gifts yeah. on them? Yeah. Still, still,
3: exactly. <laughs> um, those ships are the kinds of ships that the Chow family uh, use. Their ships are all built by the Chinese state shipbuilding corporation. The construction of those ships is all financed by Chinese state bank, hundreds of millions of dollars. The crews are generally provided by the Chinese government. And most of the contracts of the goods they ship around the Asia Pacific region come from the Chinese government. So what they have is leverage. If Mitch McConnell were to take action as a Senate leader that China was really angry about, they could destroy the family business overnight. And that's exactly the kind of relationship China wants when they strike these bargains with America's political leaders.
2: You know, you were talking about those ships out of the Pacific. Uh, there, there was one good thing that came out of that. What was that? I was able to tell my wife that her Christmas gift was out there somewhere <laughs> on one of those ships. And she's still waiting on that ship to come in. I mean, we all are. So, you Not know, some of a supply
3: were, chain problem. Exactly. Right? <laughs> that's what it
2: was. When you get into some of The details of this. It's frightening to me because it really means that there are people in high places in the American government who are compromised when it comes to China. Why is it dangerous for just somebody living out in the middle of America? Why should they care?
3: Well, it's a Chinese strategy. They call it elite capture. And the idea is pretty genius if you want to think about it. They view, the Communist Party leadership views themselves in this battle, this struggle, this race with the United States. They want to win. And the strategy is, you know, we could go head to head with the Americans, but they've got this world-class military that we can't match. They've got this dynamic creativity that we can't match. So instead of going head to head with them, why don't we just basically decapitate their leadership? Why don't we co-opt them and get the leadership to the point where they're not going to take action against us because it'll be to their personal financial detriment, and we will then co- win the competition. And that's exactly what's happening. So China wants to remake the world in their image. They want the United States to conform more to that. They threaten us with their military. And the question is, is, is our leadership in a position to make honest decisions about how to meet that threat, or are they compromised because of these really troubling ties?
2: It is re- it's frightening when I hear you say this. It's, it's even more so reading this book. We're going to keep you here because I've got a lot more questions. The book is Red Handed. You're going to want to pick this one up. And we've got a lot more with Peter Schweitzer right after the break. Don't you dare go away. We'll be right back.
1: and sign up for his free newsletter and follow gov Mike Huckabee on Twitter.
2: We are back with Peter Schweitzer. This is the book. It's what we're talking about and one you will want to read. It's called Red Handed and it's all about the explosive research that Peter has done Uh, This is New York Times, number one bestseller. As I said earlier, I know it just kills them that this book is really flying off the shelves. But we want to get back to our conversation with Peter. Kevin McCarthy very well may be the Speaker of the House after the midterm elections. He has said that if he becomes Speaker, because then he'll control the agenda, just like Nancy Pelosi has, that he will launch investigations into the origin of COVID, Uh, as well as uh, these deals that you talk about with Joe Biden and Hunter Biden, the millions of dollars that they've pocketed from that.
3: Do you trust he'll do that? I hope he'll do that. I don't know Congressman McCarthy, um, so I want to take him at his word. Uh, But, you know, talk is cheap in Washington. Um, So the real test will be if he becomes speaker, if he takes action. I think the COVID investigation to me is particularly important. I mean, it's been now more than two years. Yeah, COVID's happened. In the House of Representatives, Nancy Pelosi has refused for there to even be a committee hearing on the origins of COVID. There's not been one committee hearing to even say, hey, maybe we should discuss to see where it came from. And honestly, I think one of the reasons, as I point out in the book, is she and her family... Uh, have strong financial ties in China. Her husband and son have both done deals there, and she's really pivoted. She used to be quite critical of Beijing on human rights. That has changed almost entirely. So if McCarthy comes in, I hope that those investigations happen, and he has the power with some congressional committees to actually issue subpoenas. So how about we have subpoenas and have Hunter Biden others actually testify under oath about exactly what's going on.
2: Well, we sure had a bunch of those committees and <laughs> subpoenas when Trump was there, and Pelosi, and Jerry Nadler, and yes. Eric Swalwell, yep. and Adam Schiff, and all those guys were all over everything, a lot of which was absolute noise. You mentioned Pelosi, yeah. and you say that her family also has some uh, deals going on in China. Yes. Serious ones? Big ones?
3: Yes. Um, so it's, it's interesting. In 1993, she visited China as a congresswoman, and she unfurled a banner on Tiananmen Square criticizing their human rights policy. That's pretty amazing.
2: That's pretty bold. And I, yeah,
3: yeah. I applaud her for that. Uh, the problem is, in the two th- late 2000s, uh, her husband hooked up with a financial fund that 80% of their investments were in mainland China, He also was the co-owner of a couple limousine companies. Now, remember in 2008, Beijing had the Olympics. Nancy Pelosi wanted to boycott those Olympics. Her husband's limousine companies both got deals to ship VIPs around Beijing during the Olympics. And she literally changed her position to saying, I don't support a boycott anymore. Uh, And it's frankly been all downhill before. What she says now is, yes, they're committing genocide. Yes, there are massive human rights violations, but there are larger issues to worry about, and we shouldn't bring them up and let it interfere. It's outrageous.
2: What's, what's larger than murdering an entire bunch of
3: people? I don't know. That's a great question. That's a great question. We should ask her that.
2: And, and she, uh, the Olympics, she actually was talking about uh, saying the athletes ought to go, but not say anything. Don't rock the boat. I mean, I'm thinking we ought to be rocking some boats in China right now.
3: Absolutely. Look, it's it's this is, a, I think, the beauty of what Ronald Reagan did when he was president. We were locked in a Cold War with the Soviet Union. As Reagan always said, our enemy is not the Russian people. It's this Soviet government and dictatorship. Yeah. It's the same thing. The biggest victims of Chinese communism are the Chinese people. So our enemy, and I'll use that word, is the Chinese Communist Party, which has this agenda, which is repressing its people. The Chinese people are, I think, ultimately going to be our best allies uh, if we decide to effectively challenge the Chinese government its legitimacy, which is something we should do.
2: Peter, a lot of the big American corporations, they're not stupid they know that there are significant human rights violations. There's slave labor, there's child labor, exploitation. But they continue to do business there. Why is it that they just look the other way? Is the dollar that powerful to them?
3: I think it is. Uh, I think also some of these leaders have a, a certain attraction They talk about the efficiency of the Chinese government. Well, of course, dictatorships are very efficient. There's an appeal that they have, and it goes further than just doing business there. As I point out in the book, uh, Google, Microsoft, they both sponsor, with money and technical advice, sponsor research in China into artificial intelligence, which is sort of vital to this Mm. tech competition. It has military application. The laboratories they are funding are known to be co- connected to the Chinese military. So we have a situation where some of America's great companies, richest companies, are actually subsidizing the Chinese military in their race against us. At the same time, you had Google employees saying, we don't want to do any work with the uh, Pentagon because it goes against our moral concerns.
2: I mean, that's insane. It is it's insane. like American taxpayers and American consumers who are making these companies, multinational American companies, wealthy. They take the wealth, and then they use it basically to betray the U.S. and the very people that made them rich in the first place.
3: And betrayal is, I think, exactly the right word. And you have a situation where Bill Gates of Microsoft is uh, advising the Chinese government on science and technology matters. He's invested in a company called BYD which is building, among other things, missile guidance technology. And guess where those missiles are going to be aimed? Uh, You have uh, other situations involving uh, Mark Zuckerberg and the investments. He's the founder of Facebook, of course, investments he's made. They all are recklessly engaging in commerce with China. These are smart people. They know what they're doing. The problem is, Governor, they just don't seem to care. They're more concerned about their business and about their money.
2: I'm going to just say to our audience, uh, get the book, read it. And if you can find that Peter has misrepresented, if he's been dishonest, if his facts aren't right, let us know. Because I have read some of Peter's works. I'm just amazed at the level at which he documents what he says. So if you want to learn more about Peter Schweitzer and how to get the book red-handed, as well as the rest of his hard-hitting books, if you go to our website, huckabee.tv, we have a direct link to the way to get the book and all of the things that Peter is doing. Do it for your country's sake. Now, we've caught Keith Bilberry red-handed over there trying to get this show all together. So we're gonna go ahead and let him tell us what's coming up. Well, up next, Mike learns how to
1: cook Nashville hot chicken with Chef Eric Redwhite. Later, rock and pop music legend Peter Noon is on Huckabee. Go to MikeHuckabee.com and sign up for his free newsletter and follow AdGov Mike Huckabee on Twitter.
2: And welcome back. I am really pumped about this next segment. Now, you know, the hot food trend around the country is Nashville hot chicken. In fact, Nashville hot chicken week. Yeah, there really is such a thing. It is officially just happened. So here now to show us how to make the blazing bird at home. Please welcome the owner and chef of Red 615 Kitchen in Nashville, Tennessee, Eric Red White. Eric, good to have you here. Good to be here. Yeah, I love the name, Red White. I know, it's a good one. (laughs) The last name is White, the hair is red, I get it. So, okay, I'm pretty pumped about this, so let's get into how to make hot chicken from Nashville.
0: All right, so the first step that you have to have is your chicken, obviously, and Mm -hmm. you need to brine your chicken. If you don't brine your chicken, not doing it right. So how long do you brine it? We actually brine ours for at least one whole day. And that's just putting it in salt water? This is a salt hot sauce, and the buttermilk. Ah. Wow. Yep, that and then you mix it up, and we brine it for about 24 hours. Aha. Take it out the brine, do it in your flour. We will
2: serve no brine before it's time. Oh no. That's his motto. Oh, no. They don't even know what I'm talking about, do they?
0: So you, you're going to want to bread your chicken up, and we bread ours a little bit uh, differently than some spots around town who do the uh, flour wash the egg and back in the flour. Yeah. But we just go straight from our brine uh-huh. into the breading and then we let it sit in the breading for at least you 45 flour minutes. flour
2: that surface yep. real good, don't you? And, yep. Oh yeah,
0: and, and the breading is just salt, pepper, a little bit of garlic powder. And once these sit for about 45 minutes, I've got some in here that have already been sitting for a bit, mm-hmm. drop them down into your fryer. Got that all good and hot. What temperature oh, yeah. is the grease? So we fry ours at about 325. 325, you, Yeah, okay. you don't want to fry it too hot or else it'll get all... do you use peanut oil or what? Uh, we use a blend. Um, so with the uh, supply chain stuff uh-huh. that's yeah. going on, we have to kind Motor of... Motor oil now. Yes, yes, yes. Of course. On some days, right. you, you got to do what you got to do. But we mostly <laughs> use uh, soybean oil. Okay. And cook all ours. Right. So you let that go for about uh, seven to eight Minutes at about 3:25, and while that's cooking, you move on to make the star of the dish, the spice mix. All right, beautiful, beautiful spice mix. Okay. So, what we have is just your basic little setup: salt, salt. That looks like kosher salt. It is. Okay. A little bit of black pepper, nice and ground up. Mm -hmm. But I'm gonna just get it. Smoked paprika. Smoked paprika. That's one of the secrets. Smoked paprika. Get that regular Mm. stuff out of here. That's boring. We don't want that. There you go. We use some dark chili powder.
2: Uh-huh. That'll set you free.
0: A little bit of granulated garlic. Oh, yeah. There you go. And, of course, a big heaping helping of cayenne.
2: That is a big, that big is. helping of and this cayenne.
0: Is and we are making our medium, so this isn't even... That's a- medium. Yeah.
2: Whoa! be a five alarm fire right. if you put the hot that's dark, a lot of cayenne it that's what makes it good okay all right and I we day.
0: use dark brown sugar now that's a bit of a toss up okay. in Nashville hot chicken cuz some places say no you shouldn't use any uh, sweetness huh. or brown sugar but we like the sweet heat so we like to focus on the f- on
2: the flavor first mm-hmm. and then the spice so this just is a little just regular brown sugar
0: yep dark brown sugar that doesn't want to seem to come out of the bin
2: you got twice as much
0: cayenne as brown yes. sugar there, and even in our medium, I kept this sealed, and so nobody would die. Okay, ghost pepper powder. Ghost pepper. So just just a
2: little dash of that ghost. That's powder. a lot of ghost pepper too. Oh come on! Hey, you Red I've it. had some ghost pepper. Yeah. And it'll turn you ever which way but loose. I'm telling you That means you it's now. working. That means it's working. Okay.
0: All right, so the next step is to add your hot oil. So what okay. you can do is you can add the oil from your deep fryer, uh-huh. but you wanna cool it off first because if your oil is too hot, it will burn the sugar and burn your spices. Hmm. But you wanna have it over one, uh, 155 Yeah. because that will help bloom those spices and get the smells so and the flavors well. out okay. a little bit more. So not right. too hot, but so then. Here we go. I'm just gonna dump that. Hot oil! Into there. And if you want to take this whisk and stir up that Certainly. little spice mix and get that going.
2: Oh, yeah. I can't wait. We shake I may have to uh, go to the emergency room and not finish the show. Oh, yeah. That's mm-hmm. possible. Now, you, in your very first year of operation, were named the number one hot chicken in Nashville. Is that correct? At the uh...
0: So our first year, well, we started out with a food truck. And okay. our, our, our first year, we won best food truck in the state by the Food Network. That's pretty yeah. awesome. Um, but last year, during Hot Chicken Week, like
2: you were speaking of earlier, uh-huh. our dish did win the
0: best dish in all of Nashville.
2: Best so. dish in... And that's yeah. that's impressive because yeah, there's we, a we, lot yeah. of stuff going Thank on you, in this town. Important. Thank you, guys. That's a big deal. Yeah,
0: uh, it meant a lot to us. So,
2: so. if people come to Nashville, they got to find you. Yeah. And you've got kind of a... I, I guess you'd call it a hole-in-a-wall
0: kind of place. We are actually just a hole-in-the-wall. Th- we're inside of a little... Uh, Chicken coop. We are in the same building as the oldest bar in the state, Springwater
2: yeah. Bar, uh-huh. built in 1886. Wow. So, yeah. Um, Keith remembers when that was built, don't you, yeah. Keith? I was there. <laughs> I was there. Yeah, I thought yeah. so. Okay. There you go. He does. Right mixer there. or something like that. We'll drink it later. Yeah, yeah.
0: And then you take your okay. brush here. And if you want to brush it on the plate or in the pan, it's entirely up t- okay. to you. Now, you want me to brush this chicken? Yes. So let's just put this in the pan All so we right. don't get the mess over the pretty, there pretty we go. plate. And you will always serve, Nashville hot chicken is it, traditionally served on top of white bread and a topping of some pickles, dill mm-hmm. pickles.
2: Now, how much of this do I want to put on there? You part? want to make that look blood red. Really? <laughs> you want that deep You really want to put some hurt on yes. this, don't you? Mm-hmm. I can see, I think I'm gonna love this. It's, I really do. I think you will. But whoa, I saw how much cayenne pepper and ghost pepper and all that stuff was in yeah. here, and I'm thinking. Okay. If it doesn't hurt, then you're not doing it right. Yeah, that, I'm not doing it, that's it right. That's our rules. Hmm. All right, now I'm going to kind of let you mean show this? Yeah, Is that right? It. You see that right there? That looks hot, doesn't it? Is it time to eat? It is. So, like
0: I said, you're going to just put it on top of the white bread here. Mm -hmm. And what the white bread does is it helps to soak up that uh, nice spicy oil. You talk, I'm going to eat. Absolutely. But before you do, you you got to ban. I
2: can't eat all of that. I got to kind of figure this out. I I? think you can figure it out. Okay. Let me get this plate. There we go. All right. Get some pickles on there. Nice knowing you, Gov.
1: Good luck to you, sir. <laughs> you got a funeral march you could play there?
4: Mm. <laughs> good?
2: How's that spice treating you? No, this is great. Okay. I'm just playing with the audience. <laughs> I love this stuff. Awesome can you finish the show? I'm going to eat chicken. Yeah, no
1: problem. Mm.
0: And uh, for the people at home, we do uh, sell our spice mix on our website. So if you're feeling kind of lazy and don't want to cook at home, you can always go and buy a nice big bottle of this. That sounds great. And we do our mild, medium, and hot.
2: I will be ordering. I don't know if I'll get the real hot one. This is good. Oh, we can do it. Hey, if you want to taste the world's best Nashville hot chicken, visit Red 615 Kitchen. And if you're not in Nashville... Spice up your own chicken at home. Go to Huckabee.tv for Chef Eric's hot chicken recipe and light up your lips. That's what I'm doing. But I'm going to finish this chicken, so I'm going to let Keith tell you what's coming up next. Woo, I'm burning just watching. Next
1: stand-up comedy with Henry Cho. Later from 60s pop band Herman's Hermits, Peter Noon on Huckabee. Next week, Congresswoman Nicole Maliotakis and music entertainer Ray Stevens.
2: And welcome back. Hey, we've got the best music in Nashville right here at our show because of Trey Corley and the Music City Connection. Let's give them a big hand. Thank you, sir. Well, you know my next guest from his many TV and movie roles and sharing the stage with stars from Amy Grant to Willie Nelson. His special, What's That Clickin' Noise? That's on Comedy Central and Netflix. He is a regular in Vegas and he's performed at the Grand Ole Opry nearly 100 times. In fact, my wife and I saw him just a few months ago at the Grand Ole Opry. He was hilarious. And I said to her, we got to get him on our show. And tonight, we did. Please welcome Henry Cho.
4: Hey,
5: how y'all doing? All right, my name is uh, Henry Cho. I'm a full-blooded Korean. I was born and raised in Knoxville, Tennessee. So I'm South Korean. Only guy on the planet can do that joke. I did it for you. Born and raised in Knoxville, we were the only Asian people when I was a little kid, from pre-K till I graduated high school, so I had no idea I was supposed to be smart. <laughs> I didn't freak out to my first day of college, people sitting next to me trying to copy my work. They were like, man, you're not smart. I'm like, I'm sorry, I was born here. You can laugh at that. I know what you're thinking, wait, I was born here. Exactly. <laughs> oh, it's great to be here. Oh, so hey, thanks for having me, man. This is a, what a great audience you guys look like. Some of you. <laughs> Winter Olympics going on. They have my favorite sport of all time. They have the biathlon. You know that one, where they cross country ski and then shoot a rifle. That's the easy win in my book. Imagine you're in third place, but you have two bullets left. You got a math joke. Way to go. Did you see that? uh, Winter Olympic, I don't know, I think it was like eight years ago, maybe 12. uh, The four-man bobsled where that guy jumped in backwards. Guy number three is pushing. When he jumped in, he slipped and (laughs) spun around. You know guy number four is going, what are you doing, man? We trained four years. And you jumped in backwards. They didn't win. Too so much drag that way. What else can I tell you? I'm married. My I'm wife and I are very blessed. We have three kids. We have two boys and a little girl. Buddy of mine had four boys. Finally had a girl. His first thought was "Hallelujah." So they named her Hallie. Isn't that sweet? Yes. Yeah. So my daughter's name is Vasectomy. We call her Snippy. So Snippy Cho, keep the score. A little late over there. That's okay. <laughs> my boys' names are Jackson and Grant, because we knew they were going to fight. <laughs> late again. I <laughs> want all my kids to learn how to drive a stick shift. Y'all still drive a stick shift? Anybody out there still drive one? Yeah. Good for you. Number one theft deterrent. Yeah, those punks jump in your car and go, Oh, can't do it. I got Jackson, a 2000 F-250, six-speed diesel, four-by-four. Yeah, big old truck. You know what I figured out? Stick shift. He can't text and drive. Yeah, diesel, he can't sneak out. Pretty smart, huh? And I was born here. It's called a callback in comedy. I did that for you professionally. I've been married uh, 23 years. My wife is awesome. Oh, man. Oh, i got to tell you this. A few weeks ago, my wife got her identity stolen. Yeah, but the guy's spending less money, so I'm just going to let her ride. (laughs) True story. So I've been married 23 years. My wife's never said anything instantly stupid I could talk about on stage or on TV until last year. I was doing a show in Cabo, had a couple nights off, so they gave us tickets to go hear this Mexican band. My wife and I were walking down the street to go hear this band, and I'm looking at the tickets, and there's no name on there. So I said, hey, honey, I wonder who we're going to go see, because there's no name of the band on the tickets. And she goes, yeah, there is right there, see? No cameras. I said, honey, that's uh, no cameras. (laughs) So then she's chasing me down the street, because I'm texting the kids going, you're not going to believe what your mom just said. (laughs) We get home a couple nights later. They have Latin music playing. My wife goes, what is that? And they go, no comedos. <laughs> Y'all been great. Thank you very much.
2: Okay, I got to find out, Henry. Do you, does your family ever get upset with you if you use them in your routine? No, you know, uh,
5: my uh, my daughter's older now, so the vasectomy joke isn't as funny to her. <laughs> <as she will.
4: laughs> like it happened the other day. Where well, it's pup- funny in here, I'll uh, tell you. It's funny,
5: but when she was little, people would walk up. We'd be in public. They go, "Oh, you must be vasectomy." She's like, "Yes." <laughs> and now she's older. She's like, "Dad, you know that creepy old man just called me vasectomy." <laughs> And I'm like, well,
2: it's going to pay for your car, so I'd shut up. (laughs) (laughs) So you do dates all over the country. I mean, you know,
5: you've played the Opry a hundred times. Uh, That's a crazy thing to be able to uh, say. They've been so good to me. I'm so blessed to perform on that stage with all the greats. Yeah, almost a hundred times. I mean, we're really close. It's in the high 90s now. I did it uh, just last week, so...
2: Well, you know, as I was saying in the intro, my wife and I saw you there, and you had that crowd eating out of your hands. Well, it was just incredible. Unlike tonight. No, they loved you. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> hey, you're late again. <laughs> so, when you come up with material, I mean, you put your family in a lot, uh, do you ask them permission? Hey. No.
1: No. Oh, okay. No, just no, want to make
5: sure. No, it yeah. pays the bills. So <laughs> my wife is never complaining about anything, although she, she doesn't like that no-comerous joke. She goes, that's lazy writing. That's just lazy. <laughs> I'm
4: like, no, it's funny. Okay? It is funny. But it she, is it's very funny. But
5: being a comedian. I get away with stuff like, uh, you know, one time she came home, because I don't care about her house, and she came in, and uh, I'm watching a ball game, and she just paused the DVR and goes, Henry, you like these curtains? And I'm like, yes. Yeah. And she's like, well, what do you like about them? And I'm like, no.
2: I mean, one of those makes you leave, right? I don't care. So don't try that at home. I'm a comedian. Now, what are your in-laws? Because I'm always anxious to find a big... You know, it's one thing for your wife because she loves you. She married right, you. Right. But her folks. Her folks. How does that go on? My over? wife's from a little town in Alabama called Arab. Uh, we got some Alabama You know about a Well,
5: then you know she's white. <laughs>
2: It's the whitest town in
5: America. All white people, all the time. Except the day we got married, I had 20 Korean people there. We freaked the whole town out. We're just hanging out. Some guy walked up, goes, "What are y'all doing here?" I'm like, "We may buy this place." <laughs> So
2: are your in-laws, they, they getting used to you? Are they, they okay?
5: Yeah, but, you know, I, 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 you know, yes. I, my mother-in-law, I, I, you know, I love her, but, you know, I, I'm more cerebral, so I think it just... <laughs> she's not the... She's just... A, yeah, she's great. <laughs> I'm sure she's going to watch this, and I hope she likes oh, it. Oh, she'll watch it, I know, and she'll probably have to pause it and listen to every word every, every three <laughs> Turn it up real. Life. No, my, my mother-in-law is great. I love, And A-Rab's great. I make fun of you, but uh, it ain't my fault. Y'all did it yourselves.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Henry, you got to come back and be with us again. Oh, Absolutely drop-dead funny. It is great having you here. Hey, please, check out Henry's tour schedule. This guy stays busy. You'll be able to catch him somewhere when he's at a place near you. You also can find links to his social media pages and a whole lot more. If you go to Huckabee.tv, our website, We've got links to all of the Henry Cho information. Now, Keith, if you are done laughing over there, I hope you are just long enough so you can at least catch your breath and tell us what we got coming up next.
1: Well, here we go. Up next, Peter Noon gets caught up with Mike on Huckabee.
2: Samaritan's Purse is on the ground all over the world right now, providing hope, love, and care to those people who have been hit hardest by both natural and economic disasters. But it is because of people like you that Samaritan's Purse is able to do God's very special work. You know what I hope you do? Go to the Samaritan's Purse website or call them today and give that gift that God has put on your heart to help other people. And I know that from heaven above, you will hear the words, thank you. Well, in 1964, Peter Noon became an international teenage superstar as the lead singer of the English pop band, Herman's Hermits. Hit songs like, I'm into something good, what a wonderful world, and there's kind of a hush. All became soundtrack songs to baby boomers worldwide. Well, here's a newsflash. Peter is heading back out on tour singing all of his great songs. I want you to welcome back to the show, Peter Noon. I know you recognize that little. I
6: love tune this. What a in. great show and great musicians and everything. You're the musical guy here.
2: Well, you know what? You have no idea how much fun we had when you were on the show before. Everybody loves Peter Noon on this show. Oh, that's nice. Absolutely. I've told our audience, I said, not only do you still sing like you did when you were 15 years old, (laughs) but you're one of the nicest guys that I've ever met in show business. Maybe I'm a good actor. (laughs) Well, you're a really good one. Let's give you an Oscar and be done with it. You know, I'm living the dream, really. When you think of it, I was
6: 15. I had, uh, I had a little band in my neighborhood. Uh, everybody, li- everybody gave us a break. You know, older people in bands like the Beatles and older bands helped yeah. us and were always kind to us. They didn't push us out of the van or anything. They, <laughs> and we, and I, uh, I had a f- lot of great songs. Oh. In those days, songs were sent to you. You know, if you're kind yeah. of popular, people, great songwriters would send you songs, so I, I got great songs, and, and I, I had a little run there for about... You know, it's still going, the run, but I mean, the hit records... Like, in, in 1965, we sold more records than the Beatles.
2: I, I've read that, and it's just mind-boggling. I mean, yeah. that is a big deal. Uh, <laughs> and it is a big deal, except
6: that they were recording uh, Abbey Road that year. <laughs> so, so, you know, what happened was that we... We got, like, cash box award and yeah. billboard award. So it was really stuff. But not, none of the people in the group in Home and Summits paid any attention to any of that. We just wanted to go and travel and tour. We were a bunch of kids. It was like a, a football team, really, you know, on a bus. <laughs> and we'd go to towns and we'd, yeah. we'd meet new people and we were always excited. We got to travel everywhere in the world. Got to meet
2: Elvis Presley. I heard that Elvis did a version of one of your songs when he met you, is that right?
6: Yeah, he did a very strange version of Henry VIII once, <laughs> you know. It was like that Henry the Comedian's version. you know. <laughs> he, 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 yeah. he was a very nice, he was very nice to He punked us. We arrived there and he was in the Hawaiian village. He was making Paradise Hawaiian style and, and only the drummer and I were able to get up and go at 6 a.m. in the morning. Yeah. And we go into the grass hut. It was a Hawaiian village with real grass huts. And there was Elvis laying flat out on the floor with a bottle of uh, bourbon or something in his hand like that, lying flat down on the floor. And we didn't know. It. We were kids. We were about 16, you know. <coughs> what, what do you do in a situation like this, you know? And then Elvis walked in, and it was his stunt double fire movie. <laughs> Isn't that brilliant?
2: Brilliant. How nice of Elvis to have bothered to give us a, you know, to punk us. You know, one of the things that is very apparent people still love your music. It was happy music. It was, yeah. it was great you know, rock and roll, but it was fun and happy music. Is that well, why it's lasted so long?
6: I hope so. You know, I hope it's got another 10 years at least because I'm <laughs> keeping going for another 10 years. But I think
2: if you, if you listen
6: to the music and the period before, you know, the 40s and the 50s are important to the 60s because that's where we got all the stuff from. Yeah. But romance was part of music and dancing was part of music. And, and people's relationships were part... They were all sung about and talked about and played about. And all the movies were... had. You know, just think America gave the world Broadway and The King and I and all that stuff in the 50s that turned the Beatles on and turned me on. And, and then... But, but music was always entertainment. It wasn't some, suddenly... Somebody's sitting around in the back of a van with a bong and decides that they're going to teach us all how to behave <laughs> and, and I think I think that music was better served when when it gave you when you could imagine the situation you know, It could be under the boardwalk or it could be on the beach or something Yeah, and you could travel in it and you could use your own imagination and it
2: Nobody ever got punished or hurt or anything in a, in a song. Maybe it's why the music has done so well when you were here the last time, we ran out of time, and I teased you by saying, when you come back, I'm going to ask you the question I'm about to ask you because I promised I would. No, I'm afraid. Was there a time when you actually were babysat by Keith Richards of the Rolling Stones?
6: Yes, not really babysat. I was in the, the stairwell of uh, the City Squire Hotel in New York, and I had quite a bit to I used to drink in those days. I thought, I, I thought one day I'd be the champion drinker. So I used to drink a little bit. And um, I was a little bit under the weather. And <coughs> him and Alan, him and Andrew Oldham, the manager, came to the stairs and said, what's, 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 what's going on? And I said, I've had a bit to drink. Said. And Keith Richards said, if I ever find out you're doing drugs, I'm going to find you and I'm going to beat you up. He just didn't, you know, he was, he was protecting me because I was a kid, you know. Wow. When you're 21, 15-year-old boys need help.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I just think it's great that of all the people in the rock and roll world, the one that lended you protection and gave you what would be parental advice Well, for, was Keith Richards, for exactly. heavens. <laughs>
6: but then once again... He's a very good actor. He's there are all the songs of really, really nice guys, and yeah. they've had to pl- present themselves as being like these, these mean-spirited people, but they're actually pretty cool guys and nice.
2: Well, they couldn't be any cooler than you, and I want to ask our audience, look, I know you want to get connected to Peter Noon. He's got an incredible concert schedule. Uh, all of 2022, he is going to be on tour, and you can get his great music, even if you can't get to a show, which I hope you can't because in person he's amazing. But <laughs> if you can... Download the music of Herman's Hermits. It will just bring back the best memories. Uh, Some of you need those memories. I really believe it. So you can go to Huckabee.tv. We have a connector to everything about Peter Noon. Now, after the break, Peter is gonna sing his hit, What a Wonderful World. I don't want you to miss it. So you better stay tuned.
1: The show go to Huckabee.tv to watch an exclusive performance by Peter Noon singing silhouettes. Now, here to sing with Trey Corley and the Music City Connection with Mike on bass is Peter Noon.
4: I took about the French I took